our hearts as soon as we uh, get there and get set up. So here we are in the chapel. Um, it sure does feel good in here. Air conditioning from being out there with those smelly guys. Uh, that, that's kind of hot. Good hard work going on today. Um, but I get to step away and bring the word to our church family. And it's been interesting during this crisis, we've been able to come to your living room and come to your family in different areas of the church. So we've used the ministry center, we've used the bookstore. Um, this morning we're coming from the chapel. This beautiful room uh, was built in 1964. It was the second building that we built. It was the second place that the church family met as a group. And uh, it looked very different during that time. There was terraza floors and oak wood pews and a lot of stone up here around the baptistry and a little choir loft. In fact, the uh, altar rock or the stone rock that is out in the, for out in the oak grove used to be in this room. In fact, it was mounted right here behind me on this stage. Um, and that was our Lord's Supper table. It represented an altar from the Old Testament, an altar from even the temple. And so the picture was, this was the altar that we recognize the Lamb of God being sacrificed on. That's why it would be our Lord's Supper table, uh, the body of the Lord broken for us, the blood of the Lord poured out for us. That is the representation of the, of the Lord's Supper. So even, even that symbolism um, was here in this room when this was our main area of worship. And so uh, this is a special room to us. In fact, this pulpit right here, this pulpit is a beautiful pulpit that was made by our first pastor, Bill Billingsley. He served faithfully in the life of this church for 35 years, and he loved to make things with his hands. He was, he was quite an artisan, and so he constructed this pulpit um, that he would preach behind for many, many years. And so a uh, bit of history in this room this morning. It's great. If you've not been here before in this chapel, um, I hope that when we all come back that you'll be able to see it um, and enjoy uh, the history that is part of what has made our church a great church. Well, this morning we come again going back to some good things that we've longed for. And one of those things is our study in Philippians. Uh, this morning, the title of the message is Sick to Death Over Each Other. Sick to Death Over Each Other. Sometimes when, here in the South, you might hear somebody say, when something bad happens or something that they don't like happens, they say, boy, that just made me sick to death. Um, that's a common phrase in English, not just here in the South, but really um, in any English-speaking area. The, the term sick to death is often used. Well, here we see there's an actual story of a, of a servant of God, a man of God working with Paul that was sick unto death. He nearly died. And so this, this message this morning is so appropriate in several different ways. You know, I'm amazed at how God's word always is so timely. And so we've been away from the study of Philippians for six weeks in part because of coronavirus, men's retreat, and some other things like that. But now we're coming back to our study of Philippians. And as we come back, it's amazing how appropriate this passage is. Because this passage is dealing with, yes, it's acknowledging the fact that sickness can affect us, can affect Christians. And that we can be sorrowful over that. It's a hard thing for us. But not only that, it's also acknowledging the beautiful love for one another in the body of Christ. In fact, 
the passage that we're about to read is just laden with that. It's laden with church relationship that is healthy and right and good that we see in Christ because of Christ, because of the example of Christ. And so this morning as we come back, we, we come and I know that some of you, this is the first time, maybe the first two or three messages you've ever heard from Sheridan Hills, and so we're going to bring you up to speed. So our members are going to be reminded of where we've been as we've been studying the Word of God, and uh, if you're new with us, you're going to be able to jump right into this text and see it as we do a little bit of the background. So again, hopefully you have your notes in hand by now, and uh, take these things and look with me at the first statements of our background of our sermon text. This is important for us to understand the context of the message. So number one, Philippians is written by a guy named Paul, by a man named Paul, who's been a religious Jew before the Lord saved him in what is known as the Damascus Road experience. So he was a persecutor of Christians. He was a very religious Jewish leader, a very learned Jewish leader that came after them. That is the man who's writing to them. The Lord got a hold of his life. The Lord totally changed him, and that's what God can do. He can do that in me. He can do that in you. He can do that in a religious person. He can do that in an irreligious person. But God radically changed Paul's life. In fact, look at number two. Paul eventually become, became a key leader in the early church, and he wound up traveling thousands of miles over decades all around the Mediterranean, and as he traveled, he was planting churches, and he was caring for churches, going back and visiting them. And look at this, he was training leaders. So the Apostle Paul goes from a persecutor of Christians to a great uh, church planter, missionary, pastor, a caregiver, trainer of Christians. Look at number three with me. So fast forward a few decades from his conversion, here we are in number three, he's now in jail in Rome because of preaching the gospel. And he's in jail in Rome, and he writes this letter to a church that is at Philippi. There's a church at Philippi. Philippi is a prominent Greek town. It's a town in Greece. It's still there today. Um, there's ruins of it that are still there today in a town nearby. But he's writing to a group of Christians that are in Philippi. That's the reason it's named Philippians. It's written to the Philippian Christians. Look at number four. The Philippians had their own trouble. So Paul's in jail, but they too had trouble, and their trouble was twofold. They had persecution going on, and they had economic struggles. So, and part of their economic struggles were probably related to the persecution that was happening. So when, when um, difficulty comes on a society, Christians are not immune to that. They're not immune to economic struggle. They're not immune to health struggle. They go through what everybody else goes through. And so their persecution struggles and their economic struggles are part of what Paul is addressing from his own vantage point of having trouble as being a prisoner in what he calls a prisoner of the Lord. So, number five is important in this. The central theme of the letter is that knowing and remaining with Christ brings a joy that goes beyond all circumstances. The words joy and rejoice show up in this letter over and over and over again. This is why the entire series of Philippians that we're doing 
is entitled Joy from a Jail. It's even from a situation of a jail setting that there can be joy when Christ is on the throne of our hearts. Number five, Paul's letter does a few important things. A, it acknowledges the Philippians' gift to him. So they had sent a gift to him even that would, that would take care of some of his needs. He's actually under a, a house arrest. He cannot leave a house. It's a, it's a secure house that's there. He can have a few visitors, but he's required to take care of himself to some degree as he's chained to a Roman guard. And um, so a gift that would come would possibly supporting his personal needs, um, maybe also supporting ministry that's going on even while he's, he's chained to a guard there in Rome. So this gift was sent from the Philippian people, of people who were struggling. Letter B, it seeks to encourage these Philippians. He seeks to encourage them to be and remain united with the people of Christ. So he's dealing with unity issues with them, and he's saying you need to stay united to one another and not be ununited or at odds with one another. Every church deals with that from time to time. Notice the next part, letter C. It calls them also to be and remain faithful to the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't leave the gospel. Don't go out after other teachings. Don't allow heresy to make its way into your beliefs and into your teaching. And so all of this fits into this important little letter. Notice number seven. In our last message six weeks ago, message number 18, we studied chapter 2, verses 19 through 24, and we saw both Paul and Timothy were examples that we should emulate, that we should mimic, that we should seek to be like them. We should act like them. We should think like them. We should have faith like them. We should do what they do. And so we see that here's Paul and Timothy. We know them pretty well from Scripture, if you've studied the Bible at all. That's a, that's a big part of it. But not only Paul and Timothy should be emulated, we see another guy who has a longer name one that you're not used to probably, but Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus is also mentioned here. And Epaphroditus is another example to follow. I want us to read the passage and um, look at it right there on the top of your page in the box. It's Philippians chapter 2, verse 25 through 30. And uh, let me read it and you follow along carefully. Look what it says in verse 25. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. He's your messenger and minister to my need. So they had sent him as a messenger and a, and a minister to him. But Paul is also acknowledging here, this is my brother, this is my fellow worker, in fact, my fellow soldier, my fellow combatant in the cause of Christ. Look at number six. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Verse 27, indeed he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him and not only on him but on me also lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Verse 28, I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, 
For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Now that last phrase, what was lacking in your service to me, that's not a dig on them at all. They just couldn't, they couldn't get to Paul. They couldn't help him. They weren't near. They were hundreds of miles away, even though they wanted so much to help him. So he's just saying, you couldn't do that, but what you did was that you sent um, Epaphroditus to minister to me. And so he made up for what you couldn't do in person. Beautiful statement of love. He's saying, look, love this guy. I'm sending him home. I'm sending him home, in fact, with this letter. And um, I want you to honor him because he has nearly died for the sake of the gospel and been faithful. So let's look at this Epaphroditus guy. Number one, his name, Epaphroditus, means lover of Aphrodite. Um, Aphroditus was a was a god, a Greek god of the, of the time, a Greek god of love. Um, the Romans would call that same god Venus. And so um, Aphrodite was, was um, very much part of the pagan god system. And this tells us that Epaphroditus came from probably a Greek culture family. Whether he was actually Greek himself or one of the other inhabitants there that had come from somewhere else, he was certainly raised under Greek influence. So he would have spoken Greek, he would have, would have been part of the whole Greek pagan culture before his family wound up coming to Christ. And that's apparently very much what happened. But notice this, Epaphroditus had brought the gift and news, because Paul knew about what was going on in the Philippian church, that's what he's dressing here. He, brought, he brings a gift and news from Philippi to Paul in Rome. He almost died, on your outline, he almost died of an illness and was now being sent back to Philippi with this important letter containing both personal news, encouragement, and instructions, maybe even warnings to them about some things. Look at the next paragraph there. Epaphroditus, so far as we know, was not a preacher. He wasn't an elder, maybe not even a leader or a very influential person. Yet we see some extremely important and impactful things in and through his life. Now this is really helpful to us. When we look at biographical information or the narrative details of of a letter, either to the Corinthians or to the Philippians or to the Colossians, there are some things there that can be really helpful. Some people would read this passage and say, oh, he's just taking, this part of the letter is just business. You know, there's not really much we can gain from that spiritually. To the contrary, let me just assure you that all of the word of God is helpful to us. And you're going to see that this morning in that when we hear about what's going on between Paul and Epaphroditus and this church family, the Philippian church, we start to learn a lot about those relationships. We start to learn a lot about the mind of Christ among them. And we see that in the life of Epaphroditus. He's not a big leader, but yet we see that God uses him in a powerful way. Now, hopefully that can be encouraging to many of us. Not all of us are called to be a pastor. Not all of us are given some place of very great influence, maybe even in the church or in society. But you know, the story of Epaphroditus helps me see that God can use anyone who is faithful, that God can use anyone who is committed to him, anyone who is obedient. And in fact, tremendous things can be said about them. And in fact, they can even be said, honor a man such as this. 
honor a woman such as this. This is a beautiful thing. Let's see what a few of these things are. First of all, we see that Epaphroditus is apparently, he is trustable. Why do we say that? Well, the Philippian church gave him apparently a large sum of money and sent him hundreds of miles away. And so he appears to be a trustable man. In fact, if we were to skip to the end of the book, Philippians chapter 4, verse 18, we see, I have received, Paul writes this back to them in the letter he's carrying. He says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. So they sent those gifts with him. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. What does that end mean? Did they send perfume? Is that what that is? Oh no, not at all. If you look at the Old Testament, you will see in Genesis and in Exodus and in Leviticus, when certain offerings were offered up to God, we see that the Lord says that he would receive those offerings with, with joy and they were a fragrant aroma to him. And so when they would offer up a bull or offer up a goat or offer up a lamb in a burnt offering sacrifice saying, Lord, we trust you, we give to you from what you have given to us, something that we could use, but we choose to give it to you and we offer it up to you in trust and in faith and in thanksgiving. That's what the Lord Jesus was. Jesus was God's sacrifice for us. And so here we see that that is a fragrant aroma in the, in, even in the nostrils of the Lord, that he, he sees that and he accepts the offering. Well, the Apostle Paul is saying to the Philippian people, your sacrifice of even out of your need, giving to my needs and to the needs of the ministry, he's saying this is an acceptable sacrifice this is a good sacrifice. So apparently he's trustable. Epaphroditus also, letter B, he was willing to go for the sake of the gospel. He was willing to pick up and leave. He was willing to go into uncharted territory, perhaps not being much of a traveler. Most people weren't much of a traveler in that day and time. But the, but with the example of Epaphroditus is, is that when there was a need, he said, I'll go. I'll go for the mission of the church. I'll go for the mission of the kingdom of God. That's a beautiful statement. It's a good thing when people are willing to go in obedience. Letter C, apparently he was willing to stay. He was willing to stay for the sake of the gospel. Why do we say that? Because Paul was sending him back. It's not like Epaphroditus is saying, man, I want to go. I want to go home. I want to go home. I want to go home. But there's no indication of that. The only indication is he's longing for his friends at home. He's concerned about them. And we're going to see here that he seems to be such a sensitive, gentle guy in this idea that he's worried that they're worried for him. Uh, we're going to deal with that in just a minute. But he's saying, I, I, I'm willing to stay. I'm glad to stay. And the Apostle Paul is saying, no, you're going home because... It's going to be best for you, and it's going to be best for the people that we love back in Philippi. Letter D, he's apparently also willing to die. Look what it says, that he is willing to die for the sake of the gospel. You know, 
one of the things that happens when you go and you start serving the Lord in various ways and various places, sometimes even as in mission work and missionary work, you're traveling and, and all of the, the creature comforts and protections that you normally have, uh, you don't necessarily have. Um, there's a lot of places that aren't quite as safe as home. Um, there, there's other uh, things that you're exposed to that may be a problem for your body that causes you sickness, maybe even illness and death. Um, there's also uh, other things, you know, when you're at home, you know what's safe and where's safe to go and when and all of that. And when you go to a new place, you don't necessarily know those things. And so when missionaries go and they stay in another place, they sometimes are at a greater risk. And here we see that he was willing to go and willing to die for the sake of the gospel. In fact, we believe that that's an important point because the apostle Paul makes a big deal of it. Not only do we see in the Greek words here, mekri thanatu, but we see that he is willing to go to the point of death. Now that same phrase is used earlier, just a few verses up, where it's talking about Christ's sacrifice for us. That Jesus was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Well here, the Apostle Paul uses the same two words together. That here we see that Epaphroditus is apparently willing to die for the sake of the gospel. So there's an unmistakable association there that we see that he is being Christ-like in this willing to go and willing to die. Well, I want you to flip the sheet over. I want us to read the passage one more time, and then we're going to catch five very quick things through this that you can talk about, you can kind of see where you are in the midst of this, see where our church is in the midst of this, and um, I believe that you'll be encouraged by this. But let's read the passage again, and then we'll notice some things here. So in verse five, 25, he says, I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. So three things there. Brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, and your messenger to my need. Verse 26, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Verse 27, indeed he was ill near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Verse 28, I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ." risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Here are some key observations concerning the Apostle Paul, Epaphroditus, and the Philippian church. So these three things working in tandem together. Number one, we see esteem for one another. This is a beautiful thing when you see this among Christian people. That they esteem one another. They respect one another. And that's in verse 25. Epaphroditus, my brother. And this is a building thing. He's not only my brother in Christ as a fellow Christian, but he's kind of even more than that. He's a fellow worker. You know, you may know a lot of fellow Christians, but do you have fellow workers? Well, here he's my brother. He's my fellow worker in Christ. And then it gets even more intense. He's a fellow soldier. 
So he's not just a worker. This guy's willing to go for it. This guy's willing to die. He's willing, you know, how much do soldiers give when, they, when they're all in it? They're all in the fight for life. I mean, that is the picture. And, and so we see that building. And then he's, we see the, the Apostle Paul personalizes it for the Philippians. He says, he's your messenger. You sent him to me to tell me about what was going on. And he was your minister to my need. And so he came and he ministered to mind. So here's a, a guy that apparently isn't a pastor. He's not a big influential person. And yet God is using him and the Philippians are using him to minister to this great Christian leader, the Apostle Paul. And so they esteemed one another. Notice this. We are called to esteem, or what does that mean? To highly regard one another. That's a good thing for us to see in this passage. Notice Philippians 2, 3. So earlier in the passage, we see this very idea. Paul writes to them and he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or empty pride, but in humility consider others more important than yourselves. That's what it means to esteem someone, to consider others as more important than yourself. This is what Christ did. Christ comes and he lays down his life in humility. He lays down his life for us and we are to follow that example and we are to follow Paul's example we're to follow Timothy's example and here we're to follow Epaphroditus's example in this in fact look at Romans 12:10 he writes to the Romans the Roman Christians be devoted to one another in brotherly love look what it says outdo yourselves in honoring one another this is the mind of Christ. You know, how would churches be stronger and more uh, a stronger witness as well if we really esteemed one another as more important than ourselves? I'm thankful that at Sheridan Hills, I see a lot of that. I see a lot of people that are predisposed toward, because of what Christ has done in their life, to not elevating themselves as the as the, uh, the great potentate or the, uh, or the great most important one in the room, I see many people, when they enter the room, they think of others as more important than themselves. And that's a beautiful picture of what is the mind of Christ, that we would be humble and esteem others. Look at number two. We see cooperation with one another. Um, we see this all through this passage. In verse 25, it points not only to esteem, but it points to hard work, lots of hard work, and not only hard work, but teamwork. Notice what it says there. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow what? Worker, my fellow soldier. You see, it's not only about esteeming one another and recognizing who they are, but it's also about cooperating with one another. Yes, there are corrections in this letter. There are corrections of disunity in their church. That's part of what Philippians is about. But we do see a lot of cooperation and commendation for that. Mark it down. True Christ-centered and kingdom-conscious living. We talk about that a lot in the life of our church. Being Christ-centered. We're centered around Christ, not ourselves, not even the church. We're centered around Christ, and we want to be conscious of his kingdom, his eternal kingdom that's coming. And so true Christ-centered, kingdom-conscious living is living that involves work. 
I'm in work clothes today. We've got a bunch of guys here working today. Um, that's, a, that's a beautiful thing when brothers work together. And we don't just work together on the grass or on the buildings or on those, those kinds of things. We work to take care of one another. And listen to this. We work to forward the gospel to the people who do not have the gospel, both locally and globally. God's people are called to work in the fields of his harvest. Um, Notice this, Ephesians 2.10 also says this, Christians are saved for all kinds of good work, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And so they are cooperating with one another, and they are esteeming one another. Number three, we see another one. We see that they are concerned for one another. The Philippians were concerned for Paul. They sent a gift. Look at the next one. The Philippians were concerned for Epaphroditus, who is in Rome. They hear he's sick. They hear he's sick unto death. And they're at home thinking, oh, man, our brother from right here in hometown that we sent off on this mission, taking this gift and this news to Paul, he's sick and he may die. Now, apparently, Epaphroditus may have been sick for a long time. And may have really nearly died, been, been quite ill for a long time. Because it, it's apparently long enough that, okay, let's send word back by some other type of messenger. Let's send word back to Philippi that Epaphroditus is really sick. And so, in fact, um, it, it, it could have been months that he was sick, lingering um, between life and death. We don't know, but it was apparently not a small illness. Um, and it apparently lingered long enough that they thought necessary, we'll go send word home that he's really ill. And so we, we, we see this. You know, in our present day and time, we see that there's been concern over an illness that's all around us. And I am so blessed by what I've seen in the life of our church that, w- that we have been concerned for one another. Um, there's been a growing awareness and concern that, man, people that don't have healthy lungs or people that have a heart condition or people that are just simply older in life, man, they're vulnerable. We have to take care of them. What can we do to take care of them? Can we go shop for them? Can we make sure that everything at their house is okay? Can we change our behavior? Even though we don't feel threatened, maybe because we're younger, um, it's been a blessing to see our younger people, yes, seek to slow down in life and seek to to, to try to stay healthy and to respect people who may be more, more vulnerable. That is all about having concern. So this is a timely word for us in that we see a lot of these things kind of in motion in our church life right now. So there are good things that come out of a pandemic. There are good things that come out of a local threat as we see concern for one another coming up. So the, the Philippians were concerned for sick Epaphroditus, but look at this, Epaphroditus was sick and worried for the Philippians back in Rome, I mean, excuse me, back at home. Um, So we see that he's concerned that they are concerned. Um, That's a beautiful thing. He cares about their worry. He cares about their burden, even especially since it it is because of him. And then we also see in this passage that Paul was concerned for both sick Epaphroditus and the concerned Philippians. So he's like, man, I don't want them to worry. 
I'm going to send him home. That's going to settle that down. And they're going to be able to have the letter that they really need to have from me responding to the things that Epaphroditus has shared with me. Now, if all of this concern seems silly to you, and look at this next one. If this sounds silly or mushy to you, you may need to check your cynicism. You may need to check and see, maybe you don't understand Christian concern. Maybe there's enough independence in you that you think, well, I don't want anybody concerned for me. And it would make me question, are you concerned genuinely about others? I, I know how it feels to not want people to worry about me. I, I, I know how Epaphroditus feels. Um, um, but, you know, we need to accept the fact that we're human and we're frail. And we need to accept the fact that, that others need our help and that we need others' help. And, and we're in this life that until we get to heaven, not all of our needs are going to be met. And you might think that you don't need anyone right now, but you don't know what the medical report's going to be next year. You don't know what the trip in the car is going to be like um, uh, the next time that suddenly your car collides with somebody else's car. You don't know what's going to happen with your children or what's going to happen with your parents. You don't know how you may need others. My friends, what we see in this passage is a beautiful thing that Christians are concerned for one another. And let me tell you that that is part of what is so honorable that Paul is writing about to the Philippians about Epaphroditus. So um, they're esteeming one another. They're cooperating with one another. They're concerned for one another. Let's look at number four. We see that there is sacrifice for one another. These people are sacrificing for one another. How do we see sacrifice? Number one, the first one there, Philippians sacrifice for Paul. They give a gift. Look at the next one. Paul sacrifices for the Philippians. He sends a needed co-worker back home. So he's saying, I've been relying on Epaphroditus. You know, he got well, and now he's been great. He's been a fellow soldier with me. But now that we hear that you guys are really worried for him, See, they didn't have email. They didn't even have a telephone. Um, they, I mean, you had to wait months sometimes to get news. And so he's just saying, man, take this message home. Take them home. Put their minds at ease. You're still alive. You didn't die. And, um, you know, let's, let's take care of that. So the Apostle Paul is giving up this worker that's been very helpful to him. Look at the third one there. Epaphroditus nearly dies in his service to the gospel. That's another place we see sacrifice. He's willing to maybe even die for the sake of the work of the kingdom. Um, and that specifically is mentioned in verse 30 that he was willing to do that. And then all of this stems from Christ humbling himself to death for us. And so that's where we really see that Jesus was in fact willing to go to the cross. He laid down, not just willing, but he did it. He laid down his life and he showed us what true sacrifice looks like. But that sacrifice cannot be compared to any sacrifice we would ever give because we are not the sinless second person of the Trinity. Here we look at the true gospel of Christ and this is God coming and laying down his life for us. This is the glorious nature of the gospel that our lives find meaning because God finds worth in us 
in his love for us. And so this beautiful issue, this beautiful picture of sacrifice. Look at number five as we close. And this is, this is so appropriate for our church. This is so appropriate for us during this pandemic. Um, notice this, number five, we see longing for one another. They were longing to see one another. They were longing to have good news. They were longing to hear that each one was okay, that each other was okay. You see, Epaphroditus longs for his family and friends at home. He doesn't want them to worry. He, he longs for them so they wouldn't worry of him. Notice this, the Philippians long for their friend Epaphroditus to be well. They're concerned, and so, so much of that concern is that he feels compelled to go to them so they wouldn't bear that. And then notice this, the Apostle Paul longs to see the Philippian friends he loves so much. We see that in Philippians 1, we see it in Philippians 2. Um, at the end of Philippians, we see that he's, he's longing to see them. This is a beautiful picture of what we see even happening now. Because of Christ in us, we desire to be with our friends and our family in the life of this church. So many people have said, we just desire to come back and uh, to worship together, to enjoy one another, to fellowship with one another. Isn't God's word timely for us? Isn't it beautiful in that regard that God's word shows us from 2,000 years ago between Paul and, Philippi and the Philippian people and Epaphroditus, the servant, that we can relate to that. Um, it's a good thing when God's people long to be together. It's a good thing when they long to worship Christ together. So church, be encouraged. Be encouraged that, that we are on the right path of seeking to honor Christ and honor one another as we walk this path of life together. I have a box there at the bottom of the page, and I want you to kind of notice this and kind of evaluate this right there in your living room for just a moment. Do you have these five values in your heart for God's people? I mean, do you esteem God's people? Do you cooperate with God's people? Do you work with God's people? I don't just mean work on the grass or the buildings. I mean, do you work together in the ministry of the church? That's a, that's a good question in the kingdom work. Um, what about this? Do you have true concern for brothers and sisters in Christ or neighbors who do not know Christ, family members who do not know Christ? Is there, is there a concern in your heart that goes beyond yourself and your needs to the concern for others? Do you sacrifice? Do you experience a, a sense and a willingness to sacrifice for the welfare of others, for the life of the church. And then this last one, do you long to be with God's people? Do you long to be with Christian friends? I, I believe that this is a good time for us to evaluate these things. And maybe if you would say, you know, I've kind of had the attitude of I could take or leave the church. I've been kind of intrigued by the gospel, intrigued by the message of the gospel. I've been kind of thankful for it in my own life, knowing that God loves me and he saved me. But maybe it's time that I start to really consider other Christians around me. That would be a good thing that would come from this. If you would recognize, perhaps, I've not longed to be with the church. Well, I would encourage you to repent of that. I would encourage you to say, Lord, give me a love for your people. Help me 
to embrace your people because that's what's going to be in heaven, you and them for eternity. Friends, I believe that this is a very instrumental, uh, instructive thing for us. Look at this, the, the, the last couple here. Have you turned to Christ in repentance and belief? Christ gave his life for you. He calls you to repent and believe in him. Um, the Bible tells us to as many as received him, to those who believed in his name, that means believe that he was the Messiah, the sacrifice for their sins, that he would make them children of God. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe today is a great moment for you to say, Lord, make me yours. I receive you as my Savior, my only hope. If you have received Christ in repentance and belief, does your daily life reflect what you say you believe? Um, that's the truth of the Christian life is that God calls us to live out what we say we believe. Jesus said, if you love me, you're going to keep, keep my commandments. If you love me, you're going to do what I say. Uh, the Lord said that over and over again. And so faith applied is, is the great application for our lives. May we be a people who truly love God and who truly love his people. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that your word is so timely for us. We thank you that your word can expose to us needs in our heart. Lord, I pray that we would truly, as individuals and as a church family, that we would have these five values in us. Lord, I would pray that, that if the Apostle Paul were here today, that he could write these things about each one of us that we are a believer, that we are a co-worker, and that we are fellow warriors in the sake of the gospel, soldiers in the sake of the gospel. Lord, I, I pray that you would use this word to help us evaluate our lives and to bring our lives more and more by your grace in conformity to Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you and we thank you for loving us. We pray, Father, that this week would be a powerful week in our lives. Father, we pray that you would give wisdom to our leaders. We pray that they would know when it is right to open the country bit by bit and that we would have the right attitude toward this. Lord, help us to have wisdom in this. Father, I pray that our fears would be turned to faith continually, that we would trust in you if some of us get sick. Lord, that we would look to you, that we would trust in you, and that we would do everything we can, um, Lord, to seek to honor you in the midst of our concerns. Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we'll see you Wednesday night. Hope you will join us for our broadcast. We are looking forward to finally being together not too long from now. Um, I want to encourage you um, to continue in your faithfulness and caring for one another and reaching out to one another. If you've not had contact with people in your community group this weekend, I want to encourage you to do that this afternoon. Maybe you would simply call around, see how everybody's doing, check on one another. Our Zoom meeting uh, last Sunday was fantastic. On Tuesday night, we had dinner as a community group, so everybody fixed dinner and we all sat down, turned on our laptops, and uh, just had fun. Uh, enjoying dinner, even though in each one of our own homes, uh, but doing that by Zoom. Uh, there's creative things that you can do to just check on one another. The good old phone call or simply going and knocking on a door and stepping back 10 feet and having a conversation is um, 
actually a great thing to do. So I want to encourage you to be um, reaching out to one another and caring for one another. Let me also encourage you with your giving. Um, normally, um, our budget is at $26,000 per week. Many people have been asking, Pastor, how's the church been doing on that? Um, I will say um, we've been okay. I've been thankful that, that folks have been continuing to give in many strong ways. Um, and I've been really amazed by some people stepping up and saying, well, I want to make sure that people have what they need. So there's been some generosity in that regard um, toward benevolence. But our church budget is down about $6,000 per week. And so we really do need to give attention to our church budget. We've been averaging about $20,000 per week um, when our budget and all of the needs of the life of the church are calling for about $26,000 a week. So we're about $33,000 behind for the year um, so far. I want to encourage you um, to consider how you can help make that up. We want to keep the church strong. We don't want the church to struggle in this. We need the church to be healthy in every way, and that includes finances. There are, um, there's just continued um, growth needs in the life of the church where we are able to help one another grow and stay in Christ, and your finances have a big part of that. You can give online. You can give um, by dropping it off um, on any day of the week to our church mailbox. You can also give by mail. Simply use your envelope or, or uh, your giving envelope or a personal envelope and send it to the church office. So that's a great thing to do uh, that keeps everything healthy. So praise God. I rejoice in um, what God has been doing in our midst. Um, stay tuned online uh, for more information for David.